This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. Currently, we are offering a special early bird discount of $400 for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. Don't wait on this one, guys. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. On today's episode, Bobby Casey, the Managing Director of Global Wealth Protection, is our guest. Bobby calls in from Latvia, where he has been based for the past six years, and we get into a great chat about why he chose that part of the world. There are some really great benefits about living there, and Bobby shares why he now calls Latvia home. Global Wealth Protection helps people with their residencies, offshore banking, and incorporation abroad. Bobby shares how important it is to manage your taxes, corporations, and business abroad to avoid paying much more than you have to while living overseas. It's a very informative episode, you guys. And without further ado, Bobby Casey, the Managing Director of Global Wealth Protection. How you doing, Bobby? Good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us, my friend. And Thanks uh, for having me on the show. Yeah. And we were just touching briefly. Currently, you're in Latvia, right? I I am. Yeah. I've, I have, this, is, this is my home base, let's call it. Uh-huh. Um for the past six six years, six or so years, um, I spend a lot of I spend a lot of time traveling, and you know I, I'm kind of um, I guess this term is becoming quite popular these days. Digital nomad. I guess I would say I'm a digital nomad, but I'm not the digital nomad that lives in hotels and yeah. Airbnbs, you know, two weeks at a time and bounces around. I definitely have a home base but uh, i'm tra- i'm traveling somewhere every month you know a lot of people kind of want to go away from that term <clears throat> digital nomad because they have the digital nomads that are freelancers making 500 dollars a year living in southeast asia right um, <laughs> right digital nomads that work for ups you know and they're just remote workers and then the, the actual international entrepreneurs that are building a business but also location independent and there's no quite definition for us there's levels of that digital nomadism yeah there definitely is i've i've heard i heard somebody say one time a digital nomad is is just an expat with commitment issues (laughs) um but i don't in my case it's not really true i mean i have a home base and uh i mean technically i have two home bases but the latvia is my my primary home base but i'm i'm you know i'm definitely bouncing around i'm I'm going somewhere every month last month i was i was actually in colorado for a couple weeks i want to briefly touch on it what what are some aspects that keep you in in latvia well you know i kind of i moved i moved to estonia uh 2009 i moved to estonia more or less on a whim i'd never actually even been to estonia before i really like one-way plane ticket showed up (laughs) stayed in a hotel until i could find a a, an apartment to rent and i really liked the baltics in general when i lived in estonia because i traveled all around the baltics while i was living there 
But out of that region, um, I like Latvia the best. And the capital city of Latvia is Riga. And um, after I left Estonia, I moved to Riga. And I, don't, I, I really just fell in love with the city. It's it's a big enough city. It's about, about 700,000 people in the city. Uh, it's a big enough city where it has everything you want, but it's not so big as to be, you know, have that really big city feel. Yeah. I live right in the center of the city. Um, everything's walking distance to me. I don't even have a car here. Um, I, on, on a daily basis, I walk everywhere I need to go. I mean, the best coffee shop in town is in my building downstairs. The best pizza place in town is in my building downstairs. <laughs> I have two, you know, two grocery stores within a seven minute walk in each direction you know the cinema is a 10 minute walk away the central market is a 10 minute walk away the old city literally i walk across the street into the old city where all the restaurants and bars and clubs and stuff are the native language here of course is latvian which is not similar to anything other than lithuanian latvian lithuanian are somewhat similar Mm-hmm. But not even similar enough that they can really understand each other. Just the root of the language is similar. Pretty much everybody here speaks Russian and English as well. Almost half the population is Russian. Like, I think 40% is Russian. But every, everyone speaks English. This is, you know, I've traveled to a lot of places. This has got to be one of the easiest places in the world to get to get along with just English and not learning the local language. Nice. It's way way easier than, you know, I don't know how it is in Barcelona. I've never been, but like in Madrid, uh-huh. you know, you really need to learn Spanish. Yeah, that's in true. It's really not easy to get by, like even bars and restaurants and hotels. But in Latvia, I mean, you go to any restaurant here in town and the, every menu that is in three languages, English, Russian, and Latvian. Yeah. For a good life for a location independent entrepreneur, what would you say the cost of living would be? Oh, I mean that that's such a subjective number, but let's start um, at the low end and then on the low end, I mean so first of all I, I don't I don't consider the low end at all. You can live here dirt cheap. I mean, you could easily rent a small one bedroom apartment out of the city center for a hundred euros a month. Wow. If you want a really nice, medium nice to really nice one-bedroom apartment in the center of Riga, including all your utilities and internet and everything, you're probably looking at 700 euros plus. That's so cheap, yeah. Um, and I say really nice. Like a, a good friend of mine just moved here last year, American guy. He pays about 450, 450 euros a month for a two-bedroom apartment mm. in the center of the city. Yeah. You factor that. I mean, you could easily live here on an upper-middle-class lifestyle for 1,500 to 2,000 euros a month. Easy. That's good. 2,000, two, you could really live very well here. I mean, I probably... Aside from my travel expense, like locally here in Riga, I, I, I seriously doubt I spend more than 2000 a month. But a lot of Europe actually is really affordable. 
like really, really affordable. And people don't realize it. They think Europe is quite expensive, but I don't know what it's like in Barcelona. But there, I've, I've, I look at this stuff a lot. And for any listeners out there that want to do a comparison, just to look at cost of living to get an idea. There's a website called Numbeo, N-U-M-B-E-O.com, and you can look at the cost of living in a city you're looking at and even compare it to your home city. Pretty fascinating. So if you're from, well, Kansas City, Missouri, for example, and you want to move to Barcelona, you can go to Numbeo and do do a side-by-side comparison. It might blow you away when you start looking at the numbers, but... If you really, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year living in the U.S., first of all, living out of the, if you're an American, so I'm, let's presume um, we've got Americans listening to the show. Yeah. But it, it it could be a similar math equation for other people too, because um, that they can go about this a different way, but they can get similar advantages. If you're living outside of the U.S., you can make up to about a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year tax free. Yeah. Uh, on on your earned income. <clears throat> so if you make a hundred grand a year, first of all, just by moving outside of the U.S., boom, you don't pay any U.S. tax anymore. Yeah. Right. You you get the tax break right off the bat. Now I don't, I don't want to get into a detailed tax discussion because this stuff gets complicated based on your residency status and your business. It can be you can have CFC rules based on the country you live in and so on and so forth, but. So just from that perspective, right off the bat, you can not pay tax in the U.S. So effectively, right off the bat, you save forty grand a year just by moving, right? Yeah. Because you're going to pay between state and federal. You're probably going to pay forty percent, maybe more. If you're from California or New York, you know, probably more like fifty percent. Right off the bat, you're going to save forty grand. So now you're gross hundred thousand really only buys you a lifestyle of sixty thousand in the u.s mm-hmm. whereas if you're living in you know let's say lisbon portugal it, your hundred thousand actually gives you a hundred thousand but what the, what that means is it means two things depending on how you want to live either you work one-fourth as much and you have a lot more free time or your quality of life goes up an, by four times because you effectively have four times more money as far as spendable cash on your quality of life issues. Bobby, let's jump into global wealth protection. Sure. For the listeners, Bobby is an expert in offshore business, e-commerce, digital nomadism, virtual nomad, living internationally, investing, international real estate, and offshore asset protection. And you advise your clients on how and where to put their money and structure their businesses. So tell us more about global wealth protection. Yep. So basically, our our quote tagline let's say is internationalize your business your wealth and your life what i do for digital nomads is i help them properly structure their business to help them protect their assets properly diversify their assets their business their wealth and minimize minimize their taxes so I found a lot of a lot of digital nomad guys they they're, they're very good at what they do let's say they've got a you know, I, I seem I have a ton of clients that are selling products on Amazon. I have a bunch of clients that are authors, you know, writing books and that sort of thing. And they're very good at what they do, but 
they decide they want to go live abroad for a year or two or three or what or indefinitely for that matter they don't know how to structure the business so they don't do anything they don't make any changes they just go move to bali and that's it well the problem with that is if if you don't make some changes you're going to be overpaid first of all right off the bat you're going to be overpaying in tax dramatically i mean if you're an american right off the bat you're at least going to have to pay even if you have a good cpa who can help you claim the foreign earned income exclusion you're still going to pay self-employment tax right which is which is 15.3 percent on your first hundred eighteen thousand dollars in income which comes up to be about 18 18 bucks so right off the bat, if you make 118000 or more, you're immediately paying $18,000 in self-employment tax. That's really unnecessary if you're not living in the States. Basically, the solution is you need to incorporate offshore, draft an employment agreement between you and your company that you own as director of the company, and you pay yourself a salary from a foreign corporation because there's no payroll tax on earnings from a foreign employer however if you're running your business through a u.s llc for example most well use the amazon example they're selling products on amazon most of them have a u.s llc all their business flows through there they pay themselves their money through their llc but if you're if if you're a u.s structure or if you're a sole proprietor even if you get the foreign earned income exclusion, you're going to owe self-employment tax. So it's eighteen grand right there. I mean, if you make more than $118,000. So <clears throat> I help a lot of digital nomads restructure their business to save on taxes. That's usually the first thing we clear is we save them on self-employment tax. Most of my guys lose their mind when they realize they can save that much money on self-employment tax. <laughs> Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th through November 24th, we will have our most impactful event ever. Four weeks in the northern mountains of Thailand with other successful entrepreneurs that have six and seven figures in annual revenue in their businesses. The experience includes private accommodations, workshops, masterminds, advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. And for our listeners, we have a special $400 early bird discount for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. Bobby, what's that defining line of being a digital nomad? How much time do you need to spend outside the U.S.? And for how long do you need to do that for? You, you mean if you're to, to claim the foreign earned income exclusion? Well, if you want to incorporate abroad, so if you want to incorporate in a, in a separate country, so you don't have to, so you can avoid that self employment tax. You, you need to you need to basically you need to be qualified for the foreign earned income exclusion. If you look up IRS form twenty five fifty five, look up the instruction instruction page for IRS form twenty five fifty five. You, you can read through that. It's it's fairly complicated. Basically, there's two ways to qualify. I'm simplifying it a bit. But the first way to qualify, so, well, first of all, what you get if you qualify for the foreigner and income exclusion is you get your first, it's about 100000 It It goes up a little bit every year 
I think it's like 102,000 for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get your first call to hundred grand in earned income. So that does not include like if you have an investment portfolio paying you dividends. That does not count. You still have to pay dividend tax on that income. So it it only it only qualifies for earned income. But your first hundred thousand you can get tax free. Okay. Okay. You you also get a housing allowance or a housing deduction, depending on how your business and how your employment arrangement is set up. I don't want to get into that, but basically you can deduct um, the housing expense from your gross income, or you have an allowance of a certain amount, depending on how your uh, employment is arranged. Um, but that that ranges anywhere from about 30 to one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars a year. Wow! Based on based on where you live. So if you look at that IRS twenty five fifty five I at the end, there's a breakdown of what the maximum allowable amount is for each country. There, the high end is Hong Kong. It's one hundred and fourteen thousand. Okay. Um, and then the low end is like around thirty thousand, which is a bunch of countries are at thirty. The average is around fifty. That's why I say you get about one hundred and fifty thousand. The way you qualify is number one. The first way is called the physical presence test. You need to be physically out of the U.S. three hundred and thirty days in a twelve-month uh, period. Now, I'm. Being very specific here, not a calendar year, but a 12-month period. What that means is if you move abroad on July 1st, 2017, you can prorate 2017 for the remaining six months of the year. But what that means is between July 1st, 2017 and June 30th, 2018, you must physically be out of the U.S. 330 days during that 12-month rolling period. Okay. That includes travel days. So, for example, if you're living in New Zealand and you get on a plane to fly to San Diego from New Zealand, the moment you get on that plane in New Zealand is a day back in the U.S. Okay. Even though even though New Zealand to San Diego, I don't know, it's probably a 30-hour flight. <laughs> right. Um, the other way to qualify has a, a bit more flexibility, but it's also harder to qualify, and that's, that's called the bona fide residency test. Um, in order to become a bona fide resident, you need to first become a legal resident in another foreign country, meaning you actually need to go through the migration process to become a legal resident of that country. So in the U.S., to qualify for the uh, bona fide residency, you need to have legal residency. You need to literally have the ID card showing that you have a residence permit in that country, which means you have effectively become a tax resident of that country. You need to show that you have no intent to return to live in the U.S. The main, and there's a lot of connecting factors there, but the main connecting factor is, do you still own a home as a residence in the U.S.? If so, you will never qualify for bona fide residency. Okay. Um, That does not mean you cannot own property in the U.S., 
let's say you're from Missouri and you have five rent five houses, or let's just say you have one house there that you used to live in. Um, you can rent it out, and now it's not your primary residence. Now it's a rental property. It's an investment property, and that's fine. But ultimately, I look at it like this. If, if you do not meet the substantial presence test in the U.S., um, I think you're pretty safe. The substantial presence test is a mathematical formula the IRS has to determine whether the U.S. is your tax home. Essentially, what it is, is you can be in the U.S. an average of about 112 days a year. Okay. I say an average because there's actually a formula. You could be in the country one year, 150 days, but then the next year, maybe only 80 days, something like that. <laughs> uh, it's a, a complicated formula. So what you want to do then is establish yourself as a bona fide resident in a country where there are some tax advantages. Um, I, I can give you a couple of examples. Panama um, is, a, is a great example. Georgia um, in Central Asia is a great example. Both of those countries, it's relatively easy to get residency. The, the qualifications are very easy to qualify. Panama, for example, you can become a permanent resident there, and you literally only need to set foot in the country one day every two years to maintain your residence. Wow. Georgia, Georgia, it's even less restrictive. Once you get residency, you have residency there. You only need to come back every four or five years to renew your card. Um, the benefits of being a, a resident in those countries, they do not tax your personal income from a foreign source. If you're a resident in Georgia and that's your tax home, so now you're qualifying for this bona fide residency in the U.S., you establish your residency in Georgia. That's great because you get you qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion because you become a bona fide resident in Georgia. But the great thing is Georgia will not tax you on the income you earn outside of Georgia. So now you run your business through an offshore company. All of your income comes from a zero tax or a low tax jurisdiction. And you pay yourself a, quote, salary from that foreign company. Um, Georgia doesn't, you don't even have to claim it. I mean, in Georgia, you don't even, you don't file tax. It's like in the U.S., you have to file a tax return even if you have zero income, right? Right. In Georgia, you don't even file a tax return if you don't have anything to show them. Wow. So it makes it really, really nice and clean and simple. Bobby, I want to ask you, you have a product that you help your clients with called the Global IRA, and I had never heard of this before. And I'd like if you could share a little bit about what that is and some of the advantages of using one of those. Most people have heard of what's called a self-directed IRA. Right. Now, I, I, I want to clarify, there's a misnomer there. All IRAs technically are self-directed. Okay. okay. The, the problem, the confusion lies in your IRA custodian. So if your IRA custodian is, you know, a big, you know, a big investment company, like, like Fidelity or Vanguard or somebody like that, if they're your IRA custodian, it's still a self-directed IRA. Technically, all IRAs are self-directed. So even if all your IRA money is sitting at Fidelity, and I'm not picking on Fidelity, it's just the first one I thought of. 
Um, if all your money is sitting in Fidelity, it's still self-directed. You're still controlling where the money goes. The problem is your custodian itself limits your investment choices based on the products that they allow you to buy. So if you're with Fidelity, of course, you're limited to stocks, bonds, and most likely Fidelity mutual and index funds, right? Right. So you're restricted in that regard. That doesn't mean it's not self-directed. It just means they restrict your investment choices. Now, what most people call a self-directed IRA, and this is I'm, I'm going to stick with this term for the remainder of our conversation about global IRA. What most people call a self-directed IRA is an IRA where you can invest in non-traditional assets. People do this all the time. They, they invest in rental property. They do hard money loans. Um, they do private business investments. Um, I've had, you, you know, the buy, buy companies. I, I even have one client who's buying cattle. <laughs> really? <laughs> but essentially, Global IRA takes that one step further and allows you to invest in within the, within those guidelines within the it can't be a restricted asset or a restricted transaction but aside from that it allows you to invest in virtually any asset internationally so if you want to take your IRA money and buy condos in Medellin Colombia for example or beachfront property in Costa Rica <clears throat> you can do that Makes you sense. want to you want to you want to invest in gold in a vault in Singapore or in Cayman Islands? You know you can you can use your IRA money to invest in that. So there's some benefits there. First of all, you still you still have to have um, the custodian, but it's much harder to find a custodian that allows you to that will allow you to invest in non-traditional foreign assets because. It's it's allowed by law, according to the Internal Revenue Code. It's not a it's nothing restricted there. But again, it comes back to your custodian. Your custodians sometimes don't allow you to do that because they themselves, as custodian, don't really know how to account for it. So there's a, there's very few custodians that will allow you to deal with non traditional foreign assets. Um, so it's kind of a niche product. And it's very niche because, you know, most people, I, I would say this is definitely not a product for most people. It's for people who have an international mindset. It's for people who really are interested in non-traditional assets. For me, I wouldn't do a global IRA if all I was going to do was invest it in the van, you know, into a S&P 500 index fund. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no point. There's no point to go through the additional, you know, headache and expense if that's all you're going to do. If you want to invest in stocks on the Brazilian stock exchange, now that might be, that would be a legitimate reason. You want to invest in stocks on the Hong Kong stock exchange? Yeah, sure. That's a legitimate reason because that's hard to do through, you know, a traditional IRA custodian. Hard or impossible. Um, you know, but... If you wanted to buy foreign real estate, precious metals, you want to invest in foreign businesses, um, private private businesses, um, I think those are all very good reasons to do it. Asset protection is one of the biggest reasons to do it because once you 
once you move those funds abroad, because the way we do it, basically you have a, let's say you're rolling over a 401k or a IRA or whatever. Let's say you got half a million bucks in there. What we do is we'll create an offshore company that's wholly owned by your IRA and we'll open a bank account for that offshore company. We'll name you as director of that company. All that money goes into the bank account of that foreign company. So your IRA effectively is investing $500,000 in one asset. The one asset being that offshore company that you now control as director. It's it's kind of like your own personal tax deferred hedge fund <laughs> because okay. essentially you're taking the $500,000 in that company's bank account and you're directing it. You're investing in whatever you want from that company in that regard as well. Now, Bobby, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I want to ask you one sure. more question. Um, the theme of yep. these podcasts are uh, building a, a seven-figure location independent business, and it seems like you tons of tips on, on doing that. And I'd like to ask you maybe two or three tips about the mentality to create a seven-figure location independent business. What does it take? Location independent business is, I would say, let's a, a relatively new possibility. Um, but now nowadays, with technology and travel that's relatively cheap, we have a lot of possibilities to create location independent businesses. Even big companies nowadays are getting rid of office and office staff. Even JetBlue, for example, most of your JetBlue. Um, reservation agents work from home now. I don't know if you know that oh, or wow. not. But I didn't know that, no. the concept of location independence has really become a trend in the past few years, mainly because of technology. Really, I mean, we have things like Skype, we have file sharing, you know, like Dropbox, we have um, things like Slack, and we have CRMs that allow us to effectively communicate with our colleagues and employees and contractors and coworkers. We can outsource certain things. I mean, 20 years ago, I'd never heard the term, even probably last right. 15 years ago, I'd never heard the term virtual assistant. Right. I mean, who, who, who the hell had a virtual assistant, <laughs> you know, in the year 2000? Nobody had a virtual assistant in 2000. Right. It's not even a concept. But na nowadays... I don't know too many people that don't have a virtual assistant. You know, it's it's easy enough now. Like, <clears throat> I think my virtual assistant booked the appointment with you, actually. He did, yeah. Um, first of all, th the idea of creating a location-independent business is significantly easier yeah. than it was even ten, five or ten years ago, which is one of the reasons I'm so optimistic about today. But the mindset is you need to be emotionally stable enough to, to be able to withstand ups and downs in your income. I mean, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I haven't had a job since I was 19. Wow. And I, so, my God, that's more than half my life ago, right? That was, <laughs> that was 20, 24 years ago. Yeah. And um, I've had periods where I made a lot of money. I've had periods where I've lost money for extended periods of time you know i've had periods where i've gone two three four months without a single client coming in the door and then all of a sudden it's like the floodgates open yeah 
if you're not emotionally stable enough and confident in yourself enough, you know, that can be an emotional roller coaster that maybe you're not emotionally capable of dealing with. The, the, the mentality for an entrepreneur is the same as the mentality was 100 years ago or 500 years ago, right? You have to be emotionally stable and confident enough in your own ability to, to handle your business. Now, the location independent aspect of it, it's really just entrepreneurship using technology. Right. right? You, can, you, can be location, you can be location independent living, you know, in Roanoke, Virginia and never traveling. So location independent is just an option, you know. Be, you <laughs> maybe become location independent in your business so that if you choose to, you can take a two-month vacation. Exactly. But to me, it's just you need to be mentally capable of handling the ups and downs, mentally and emotionally. I agree. Capable. Bobby, we're going to have to wrap up there. I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show and offering all your tips and tricks and wisdom to us. Thank you very much for giving us your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for coming on the show, and we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set. Business grows. New partnerships develop greater profit margins are achieved the productivity skyrockets for attendees and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it this year our main event will be held in chiang mai thailand it is four weeks from october 26th to november 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only it will be full of workshops masterminds advisors co-working and fun weekend social events be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible this event will fill up fast For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.